Come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You make some noise, yeah. Man, it's so good to see you guys. Welcome to the Moorhead campus. Welcome to the Grayson campus. We also want to welcome everybody watching online and all over the world. Man, it's so good to see you guys. And it's good to be back here. You know, usually in July, I'll, uh, we talk to some of our pastors on staff and they usually preach to July. And I go to my annual trip to Florida. For the last five years, I've been preaching at one of my friend's youth camps. And I go preach all week down there to a couple hundred teenagers. It's awesome. It's fun. We had 14 students give their life to Jesus last week. That's amazing. It's awesome. And when we was planning this series, I said, guys, I want to jump back in the hymn series. I want to be back part of this because I love hymns. I love the great old hymns, especially this one, How Great Thou Art. I love this. It was actually fitting. My wife was down at Panama and, and uh, we was actually at the beach and I, I knew that I'd be preaching this. So to sit there and look at the ocean and to look at the sunsets, knowing that I'll be preaching on how great thou art. I'm telling you what really warmed my heart and my soul. Pastor Jacob kicked us off last week talking about what a friend we have in Jesus, and he did an amazing job. And when you study this great hymn, How Great They Are, I don't know if you know the history of it, but in 1885, Carl Bobart, he was a sailor turned minister, was on his way to church. And him and his friends were on his way to church, and all of a sudden, a big lightning storm and thunder and everything broke out, and they ran for shelter. They were scared because it was so powerful. And all of a sudden, the storm blew by, and a rainbow came out, and the birds began to chirp. And he goes back home, and he pens a, a poem called, Oh Great Guy. Now, fast forward Stuart Hine in the 1930s in Russia, and they're singing this poem, Oh, Great God. And he said, this is a great song, and he, he brings it back. He's an Englishman, so he brings it back, and he writes a couple other lyrics and puts another, you know, instrumentation to it. And before you know how great they are, found their way into Billy Graham's crusade, and Billy Graham has made that famous all over the world. In fact, by the people's choice, it's the second most popular hymn right behind Amazing Grace. I love this song. I know when he probably passed away in the 1940s, he probably never thought that how great they are it would be impacting the world like it has today. But have you ever asked the question, like how great God is? Like how big is God? I mean, we just sung the song that he holds the worlds in his hand, plural, worlds in his hand. It talks about the stars and the thunder and the storms. And it says the universe is displayed of his glory. Like how big is God? You know, I, I, love, um, I love all my kids. <laughs> I was going to say, I love my eight-year-old. I love all my kids. But my eight-year-old, he's kind of that math, science, bent kind of kid. You know what I'm talking about? Like he asks you questions all the time. He, he, I'll be putting him down at bed at night. And I'll tell him how much I love him. And, and I, I tell him that stuff. And today I told him I was going to be talking about science and stuff. And he loves science and stuff. So he's sitting here on the front row. And I always affirm him and I encourage him. And we talk about science. And he's like, he's like, Dad, I just can't get it. I can't get it. I was like, what can you get, son? He goes, how can God exist outside of time? I'm like, you're eight years old. What in the world are you doing asking questions like this? And I did what every smart dad does. Go ask your mom. <laughs> She'll tell you. He's like, dad, how big is God? How great? How could he be outside of time? And then you're tucking him in bed at night and I do my words of affirmation. I love you, Jake. God's got a great plan for your life. God's going to do great things. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. And he rolls over and says, dad, give me a math equation you think I can't solve. That's what you ask before you go to bed. Where did this kid come from? He's definitely, you know, like not my kid. And so we start talking about this. It's like, how big is our guy? And do you know, this is, this is some random facts. If you like science, we're going to have a little science class today. It's really not so much a sermon, but it's a science class. And if you really like, uh, like science and math and stuff, you really are going to kind of like today as we walk through it. But think about this. The earth is 93 million miles away from the only star in our solar system, which is the sun. 90. 
1.3 million miles away. The earth spins, watch, it takes a 584 million mile track in a year around the sun. 584 million miles. And it's traveling at 66,000 miles per hour. Like how big is our God? Like how great is he? If you take a golf ball, let's say the golf ball represents the size of the earth, okay? This is the earth, size of a golf ball. The sun would be a 15 foot diameter ball sitting right here on the stage. So put that in perspective. Like that's how big the sun is. And you know the closest star to us besides the sun is 4.3 light years away. And there's 100 billion plus stars all over the galaxy. Are you kidding me? This is insane. So I talked to my son about this stuff. He goes, Dad, have you heard of Beetlejuice? I said, yeah, it was a great movie in 1988. I dated myself. Somebody's like, don't say Beetlejuice three times, son. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. He's like, no, Dad, it's the star of the Beetlejuice. I'm like, yeah, this Beetlejuice. He goes, I'm learning about science and stuff. And, and my son, he has a devotion book by Louis Giglio called Indescribable. If you have a kid that loves math and science, I encourage you to get that devotion book because he loves studying that. And he talks about Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice is so big, it's so large. It's 427 light years away. Like our minds can't even fathom that. Like if the earth was a golf ball, Beetlejuice would be the size of six Empire State Building stacked on top of each other. That's crazy, man. I mean, that's insane. And he's like, Dad, you know about Canis Majoris? I'm like, how did you know about Canis Majoris? Like, how do you know about the biggest star known that we know in our universe? It is so big. It is so huge. For instance, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, the biggest star that we know in our universe would be the size of Mount Everest in comparison. That's insane, y'all. Like that is big. Like that is huge. And so we ask the question all the time, but when did this happen? How did this happen? I'm sitting here at the beach and I see the ocean and I see the sunset and then I see the stars. I'm like, how did this happen? But more importantly, why did it happen? Why did all this take place? And, 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 and if God created all this, and let's go back to what my eight-year-old asked this question, then who created God? Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest, okay? We're in church. I had a guy one time and said, preacher, I won't lie to you in church. I said, I hope you won't lie to me outside of church. You know what I'm saying? How many of you ever asked that question before? Like, if God did create everything, then who created God? Get your hand up. Come on. It's a question, right? It's a valuable question. Like, where did God come from then? How did God always exist? And really, when it comes to the cosmology argument, there's only two outcomes. You're either a naturalist, which believes that it just happened by chance, Big Bang Theory, evolutionary, all that stuff, it just happens by chance, or you fall on the camp, it's an intelligent design, that there is a creator, something designed it because it's intelligence. And when you start studying and you look at science, and that's what today I want, I hope that if you love science, it sparks you to go and study and research. But most scientists, almost 99.999% of scientists today will agree that the universe had a beginning. Now, for the longest time, everyone believed the universe was static, that it always existed, it was eternal. In fact, Albert Einstein, when he does this cosmological constant, he writes into the formula that it's a static equation in 1917, believing that the universe is, has always existed and it's ecstatic. But some of you have heard of the Hubble telescope. Well, Edwin Hubble in 1927 made a discovery. He's monitoring galaxies in the universe, and he noticed that galaxies are starting to move away from each other. And if galaxies are now moving apart from each other, means they're expanding. So the thought and the theory came that the universe is now constantly expanding and going out because even to this day, galaxies are continuing to move away from each other. 
So the thought came then, if galaxies are moving and they're not static in one place, then that means they had to have had a beginning. How'd you come to that conclusion? Think of a movie. If you watch the movie and you put it in rewind and you put it in reverse, right? And then all of a sudden everything comes back to one place. So if you took the galaxies that are moving apart and you rewinded them, all of a sudden they come back together, they come all the way back into a singular event, a catastrophic singular event where maybe a hydrogen or an atom and cause something. Now, most scientists would say that the earth is probably, or the universe is probably 13 billion years old. So let's take that for example. Over 13 billion years, everything comes back to one singular tiny molecule of hydrogen or atom or electron or neutron, whatever you want to call it, but something singular event took place. Well, NASA said this is a blow to scientists because they can't go past it. We don't know what happened before that. And when you're a scientist, you want to study it. You want to, you want to study the data. And now you can't study past that because now you, if it was eternal and it was static, everyone has an opinion to go, okay, then this is how it happened. And this is how evolution takes place. But since it has an effect, that means there had to have been a cause. And this has baffled scientists to this day. And so what they've done is they come up with a theory that's called the Big Bang Theory. And I'm not talking about the TV show that you watch. You know what I'm saying? The Big Bang Theory. And everybody knows what the Big Bang Theory is, is it goes back to that singular moment that something catastrophic happened, that something collided, which asks the question, where did that something come from? We could keep going that back. That's why it baffles people. And then boom, the universe has started and it's ever expanding to this day. Listen to me. You cannot hold the Big Bang Theory in the creation of the Bible. You can't hold them. They're apart from each other. And some Christians want to say, well, God used the Big Bang Theory to create this. That's absolutely false. You can't hold both because they oppose each other. I mean, for instance, the Bible said God created the heavens and the earth within six days. The theory, Big Bang Theory says there's over 13 billion years. They oppose each other. And you're like, Pastor, do you really believe that God created in six days? Well, I have my own opinion about that. I have my own conviction about that. But if God wanted to create it in six seconds, he's God, he could do it. That's not what we're here to argue about. The problem is they, 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 they oppose each other. The Bible says that God created the, the earth and then he created the stars. The Big Bang Theorist says, no, the stars were formed. And then after that came the earth. They oppose each other. The Bible says out of the water, the land came up where God created it and he called it land. Well, the Big Bang Theory says, no, we're this molten blob. And then it was formed together. They oppose each other. You can't hold both positions. But if you really study it, the Big Bang Theory is not only bad theology, it's bad science. If you're a scientist, this is bad, bad science. And I know what you're saying, but, but, but pastor, my teacher and, and, and my professor, who has their own propaganda, who wants to push their own liberal mindset onto our young people today. They teach theory as if it's facts and their data and their science can't even back it up. And they're indoctrinated. And you're saying, well, aren't you doing the same thing teaching? No, if they could talk about in the classroom, why can't we talk about in church? I mean, you need to be here to have a mindset to study the data. I'm here to encourage you to seek after the truth. Because here's what's so fascinating. The more that we advance in technological discoveries, the more it points to a designer. And that's what's baffling scientists today. And so you study this. It's bad, bad science. Because the most striking discovery man has made when it comes to physics is these laws and constants that govern our universe. There are rules that govern our universe. And, and some would say there's up to 30. Some would say there's up to 50. Think about these big, great dials 
and the dials have to be turned exactly for life to exist. For one of those dials, let's just take, let's just take gravity, for example. That gravity is so finely tuned to the incomprehensible degree so that life can exist. Imagine a ruler. Imagine taking a yardstick. You know what a yardstick looks like. Take a yardstick. And they're broke down into inches. Okay? Broke down into inches. And you stretch this yardstick, this ruler, from one end of the universe to the other end. Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of light years apart that they know of. Billions of light years apart. And one inch increment across this ruler that goes a billions and billions and billions of light years away is the setting for gravity for the universe, for the galaxies, for our solar system, and for planet Earth to have life on it. One inch to the degree, the opposite way, is destroyed. We're all gone. How can it be so finely tuned to one inch? Just the law of gravity says something has to have happened to design this. And then you had the cosmological constant that Einstein said was his biggest blubber in his life because he discovered that the earth was not static. The earth actually did have a beginning and it did move out. But scientists in 2010 came back to his formula and said, wait, Einstein might not have missed it. He may have missed that the universe was static and eternal, but his formula teaches us about dark energy and how we measure energy. And maybe he didn't just miss it just right because the cosmological constant is so finely tuned. It's so razor edge tuned for life to exist. In fact, if the number was large and positive, the stars and the galaxies could not be formed. If the, if the number was small and, or large and negative, then the whole universe would collapse. This constant figure, this formula holds everything true in order. In fact, here's what they say. They said this, it's so finely tuned to the 100 million, billion, 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 billion degree. I mean, that's insane. I mean, that's impossible. And that's just the cosmological constant. That is insane that it could be that, that precisely tuned in. Let, let me help you understand what that will look like. Let's say you got in a spaceship and you go as far as you can into outer space. And all of a sudden, we hand you a dart. And we want you to throw this dart and hit a bullseye on planet Earth, even though you can't see Earth. Earth is spinning 66,500 miles per hour around the sun. The Earth is spinning over 1,000 miles per hour just on its axis. And you were to take a dart, stick your head out the window as if spacecrafts have windows, but just follow with me. You know, Jetson's here, just follow with me. And you're to take that dart and you're to throw it at a bullseye and hit the bullseye on planet Earth that is one trillionth of a trillionth inch, by the way, which is the size of an atom. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's impossible to even come up with the probability of how that could even, even work. And then we could go on about the strong nuclear force that binds the nuclei and the atoms together. If that one force that holds that atom together was off by one-tenth of a billion, 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 the universe would be hydrogen and there would be no life whatsoever in our universe. You know what the odds of that is? That's like taking a dime. And you take a dime and you cover the whole North America continent. Think about how big that would be, dimes. And then you would take that dimes and you would stack those dimes all the way up to the moon, 239,000 miles away. And then you would take one dime and you would paint that dime red. You would throw it in the middle of the dimes as wide as the North America continent, as high as all the way to the moon. And you would shake them up and then blindfold yourself and say, go find that dime. That's what I thought too. 
It's insane. And that's why evolutionists and Big Bang theories do not understand the probability. They won't even argue probability with you because the probability is so, so huge that it takes more, it takes much faith to fill the universe to believe that it happened by chance. It takes more faith to believe it happened by chance than believe there's an intellectual design. In fact, Dr. Vera Kistakowski said, uh, she's a professor at MIT, Emeritus. Here's what she said. She's the president of Association of Women in Science. And I want you to hear what this lady professor said. The exquisite order displayed by our scientific understanding of the physical world only calls for the divine. See, that's what I'm saying. The more advanced MIT, Harvard, Yale, the more advanced people get, the more science they go, they realize they can't explain it. I love the evidence. It's so strong in physics. Harvard education, Georgetown professor Patrick Glenn. He used to be an atheist, now turned God, believing in God. Listen to what he said. Today, the concrete data points strongly in the direction of a God hypothesis. Those who wish to oppose it have no testable theory to marshal. Only speculations about the unseen universe spun from fertile imaginations. Ironically, the picture of the universe given to us in the most 20th century, this was in the late 1990s, is closer in the spirit of the version presented in the book of Genesis. These are physicists who are telling us that the Bible has already told us this stuff. It's a more picture of a creation, not that it happened by chance. Isaac Newton says this, the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only be preceded from the counsel of dominion of an intelligent, powerful being. Listen, if you're a naturalist, or if you believe it just happened by chance, you hold the position of the Big Bang Theory and evolution. Let me tell you what, you have to deny the first three laws of, of thermodynamics. If you don't know what they are, that's good homework. Go research them. You have to deny those. You have to deny that the earth had a beginning, that it always exists as an eternal which has been proven though it had a beginning. You have to have blind faith, the size of our universe to hold that position. That is massive probability that it did not happen by chance because we know this, if there is a beginning, that's the effect of a cause. Something calls the effect that we see today. We know that. So that raised the question, then what caused God? How can you say there's a cause and effect? Then what caused God to affect God to cause the effect of the universe? Who created God? And that's the wrong question to ask. And the reason why that's the wrong question to ask is because we can't take our laws that govern our universe, the empirical data that we have, and place it on God. Why? Because God is not substance. God is not material. This laws only work on things that are material. If God was a human and then he created everything, then he's a material. And from that material, something calls that, the designed God. But the Bible says God is eternal, that God is everlasting, that God's existed. And you sit here and you scratch your head. You said, how is that possible? You just believe that the universe was eternal and existed forever. See, it takes the same faith. You have to come to the same collusion. Science always comes down to the, at the end with faith. You will have faith that it just happened by chance with an improbability or, you know, that things could just happen. Or you have to come by faith to say there has to be a designer. There has to be something that created. They both take faith. And I would argue it takes more faith to believe it happened by chance than something was created. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've said this for centuries. Psalms 33, the Lord merely spoke the heavens were created. He breathed the word and the stars were born. 
Like how big is our God? Psalms 147. He counts the stars and calls them by name. Oh, he's big. Billions upon billions of stars and he knows them by name. Jeremiah says this, but the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens that our scientists have proved today that the heavens are still being expanded and they're still being stretched out. How? What holds it together? He's got the whole world in it. Sorry, I'm sorry. You got to pray for me. Too much coffee. Listen to me. Science is now catching up with the Bible. Do you see this? Listen to this. Isaiah 40, 22. God sits above the circle of the earth. The sphere. Who told Isaiah that the earth was round? We just discovered this a while back. Everybody thought the earth was flat. Don't go over the sea. You'll go. Who told Isaiah that the earth was a circle? God did. How did he know that? He had no telescope to discover that. The oldest known artifact of literature to this day is actually the book of Job. If you take the book of Job out of the Bible and look at antiquity and look at it as just a piece of literature, documented, it's the oldest known documented literature that we know of in human existence. And you know what Job said? The oldest known document that we have as humans on planet earth. You know what he says? Job, Job 26 says this, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. Who told Job the earth was suspended in the universe? God did. You go to study like Buddhists, they used to believe that there was an elephant that stood on top of a turtle that was on the back of a serpent that held the earth up. That's what these people just think. What holds the earth up? The oldest known literature to mankind. A man said, that the earth is hanging by itself. Who told him that? Folks, God did. Frank Tipler, Tulane University, wrote a book, The Physics of Immorality. Listen to what he says. When I began my career as a co studying cosmology, some 20 years ago, I was convinced atheist. I never in my wildest dreams ever imagined that one day I would be writing a book to show the central claims of Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true. And these claims are straightforward deduction of the laws of physics as we know and understand them. I have been forced, listen to this, I have been forced into this conclusion by the overwhelming logic of my special branch of physics. I was studying to disprove that there could be a God and actually found out there's no way they cannot be a God. This is what science is doing today. And you don't hear about this in our liberal media and mindsets and our professors who want to push and propagate their own agenda on our universities. You don't hear this and talk through it. They teach a theory as it's fact and they do not have the data to back it up. They don't have to show this because it's bad science. It's bad science. The cosmological studies point overwhelmingly to an intelligent design and a creation from a creator. And that's if we just study astronomy. Do you know what really pushes science over the edge? That's very fascinating. It's not so much the study of astronomy because why we're like, oh man, look, it's so far and it's so grand and, and you estimate billions of light years. Who can, go, who can actually go and test it empirically? 
Like who could go and do that? But let me tell you what's really rocking the core of scientists today is the 7 billion people you walk around here on earth. It's you and it's our body. Biochemists and microbiologists have discovered all these things that are absolutely ripping the theory of Darwin, ripping the theory of evolution, ripping the theory that this happened by chance apart and nobody wants to talk about it. Listen to what Charles Darwin said. Origin of species, and I quote, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ in the human body existed which could not possibly be evolved, that could form by numerous successive slight modifications, then my theory would be absolutely destroyed. He did the best he could with what he had. You know that we can destroy the Darwin theory left and right all day and every day now. You know why? There's parts of our bodies that cannot just evolve and then work. And the biggest one was actually one of my friends. He was in medical school. And he said, I believed in God, but it was the time I went to medical school that just kind of just proved it over and over and over. And I said, what was it? He said, the human eye. The human eye can never, ever, ever evolve. It cannot start working little by little, piece by piece. And then all of a sudden, light reflects in the retina and now you can start seeing. It has to always exist. It has to. It cannot evolve. And we said, when I studied that and saw that, I knew there has to be a creator because it cannot. There's no evolution to the human eye. And that right there alone proves Darwin's theory wrong. There are parts of us that, that cannot, it has to always exist. But no one wants to talk about this. No one wants to challenge that. Because if you challenge people, then you're closed-minded and you're a bigot and nobody wants to deal with you. You hate the world. What? Let's have an intellectual discussion if you want to talk about this. But when they started mapping the entire human genome system, you know what they discovered? They discovered in your DNA a four-letter chemical alphabet. And this four-letter chemical alphabet built on the DNA, what's called the double helix. Go research the double helix. I believe the double helix alone destroys any arguments of evolution, just based on the double helix. And what happens, they studied your DNA, and they took your DNA, and they decoded it. And what they found out was a four-letter code, an alpha code in your DNA system, A, T, C, and G. And these four-letter code make up your entire genetic language. Just as the computer speaks in binary code, zeros and ones, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. Your body speaks a language, an intellectual language, a knowledge of information. In fact, one teaspoon of your DNA holds everything it needs in all the protein synthesis to create uh, over the hundred million species that's known to mankind. And one teaspoon of your DNA. And what happened is microbiologists and chemists have discovered that your DNA is actually a language and it's information. What is DNA? It's a message. Your DNA is a message. They said this, scientists says this, if you would take your DNA out and you would speak the language of your DNA and you would speak one language, one word, one second for 24 hours a day straight, it would take 96 years for you to read yourself. That's how complex intellectually designed you are. You have a language that runs through your body that makes up your genetic of who you are and there will never be one like you. You are your own unique language. There will never ever be the same person just like you. Where did that come from? Bang, nature. Okay, let's walk that out. Nature can produce patterns, but nature can't produce information. 
Let me give you an example. My wife and I, we were, we were actually in Florida. I was down there preaching. I had my kids with me. We went out on the beach. And imagine me and my wife, we're walking along the beach. And it, it was rough. And, and they had like the water waves were rough because they had a storm come in. There was a double red flag. A double red flag means you can't get in the ocean. But we're from Kentucky. We don't obey rules. We get in the ocean anyway. You're going to come this far. Hello, 14 hours with six, six of us in a van. I'm going in the water. So imagine me and my wife and the waves are pretty rough and we're walking down the beach and all of a sudden the, the waves come in and it cuts through the sand and the water treks through the sand and we see the pattern that the water made. We can study that empirically. We can study that. We can examine how the wave came up and the water trends, the force of the wave, the dynamics of the wave, the distance of the wave, how powerful the wave was to create a trench for the water. We can see the pattern. Science, we can prove there's a pattern. Science can do that. But imagine me and my wife were walking down the beach and the same waves come busting in. And when the waves go out, there on the sand says, Daniel loves Leanne, heart arrow. Oh. What would you say? Where did that information come from? That's not a pattern, that's information. And nature can't make information. It can only make pattern. If there is something written, if there is a code, there's an intelligent something behind it. Only intelligence can write Daniel loves Leanne in the sand. Waves can't do that. And the same way your DNA is wired with your genetic language, which means it didn't come from nature. Something created you. Something made you. And when you just look at the DNA and how it self-repairs itself and it works with RNA in your body with protein synthesis, RNA template screams designer. Something designed you. You see, evolutionists do quite well with theoretical science. They do. They do quite well with theoretical science, but they fail miserably with empirical, empirical evidence. Science looks like this. You take the data... You examine the data empirically, you touch it, feel it, measure it, and once you do, you come up with your conclusion. That's science. All my science geeks in here, you're all following me, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's science. You study it, you touch it, it's tangible, you can measure it, you form your own conclusion. The reason why evolution is bad science is because evolutionists form their conclusion and now they're out looking for the data. They're out trying to find data to prove their conclusion. That's poor science. That's not how science works. And so now they're going, we just don't know. We can't go back and find it. There was a beginning. That's why the NASA uh, astronaut says it's a blow to science when they discovered that the universe had a beginning. Because now there's an argument, something calls it, something designed it. And I'm here to tell you that something is Jesus. Study the facts. There's plenty, plenty of evidence in the 21st century. I love this. The world's leading expert in molecule who studied the, the molecules of the body, Dr. James Torr, Rice University. Listen to what he says. I stand in awe of God because of what he has done. Through his creation, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. And that's my challenge to you. I'm not here to doctrinate you. And that, here's it. You go and say, if you're here, I don't know if it's God thinks real. Go find out. Go seek. Because if you seek with an open heart, you will find. 
And that's what we're seeing. Harvard professors, MIT professors, Yale professors, all going to the point there has to be a design. Now, they may not go to the point believing in one God and his name is Jesus. But they will become a deist believing there's something out there that has designed this. Whether it's alien or whether it's this intellectual being, there's a host or something has designed this. We're seeing this, but no one wants to talk about it. Because it's pushing this liberal mindset that you become your own God, that there is no God. Only during the enlightenment years did this ever happen. Up to that point, everyone believed there was some God or a multiple of gods. But we think we're so smart, we think we can out God. And we want to become our own gods because we don't want no one over us. And we see this over and over and over. In Psalms 139, when God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I made you just the way you are. There's God's fingerprints all over creation. Paul writes, in the book of Romans, just go look at creation and you can see there is a God. And you can see it for yourself. Psalms 14.1 says, only a fool says in their heart, there is no God. Don't be a fool. Only a fool says there is no God. Now, how many of you would say you have a friend, a family member, acquaintance that you know personally that says they're like, like, they would say they're atheists. They're anti-God. Come, throw your hands up. Like they would say they're atheists. Come on, get up. Most of us, right? We know somebody that's close to us. You don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk to anybody about that. They're the ones that come with all the questions that you may have. And that's the reason why most of us don't go talk to people about stuff about God. Because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question about science and faith or evolution or Big Bang Theory. Or how did this happen? And who created God? Well, God wasn't created. He's eternal because He's not a substance. He's a spirit. So He can be eternal. Scientists haven't even discovered everything there is about the material world. They definitely won't step into the supernatural world and start studying. How could that be? Don't be afraid to have your conversation with people. If they ask you a question you don't know, say, you know what, that's a great question. I have no idea. Come on, let's study it together. Let's discover it together. Go on a journey with them. You don't have to be mean. I don't know everything there is. My goodness, we think about the Bible, man, but things about God. I mean, I look like, what, that one page. I don't know everything there is about God and understand all this. I just share with you what I do know and experience up to this point and what I've seen in my own life. And here's what I've seen when it comes to dealing with atheists. I didn't read this nowhere. This is my own opinion. I formed this on my own when I start seeing this. And the people I've dealt with who say they're anti-God and don't believe in God. Here are some things that I, I've, I've monitored just in my own personal. Number one, ignorance. I'm not calling them ignorant. I'm just saying out of ignorance, they just don't know. They haven't sat down and studied they haven't sit down to study science and research it and, and come to their own conclusion and with their own hypothesis. They take what a professor or what a teacher who has all these degrees after their name, they must be super smart because they speak over your head. Well, if they think, and I'm just the kind of this old country boy here, I, I was gonna go, no, 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 no. Out of ignorance, they just don't know. Secondly, arrogance. They're prideful because they think they know everything. They think they've got it all figured out. Let me tell you, the people that at least I know who say they're anti-God, it's because somewhere in their life, something bad happened and they couldn't reconcile it. If God existed, if God was a good God, then why did I go through that? Why did I have to suffer? Therefore, I will harden my heart and I will choose to believe there 
is no God. And most people who claim to be an atheist, I guarantee if you trace all the way back from their childhood up, something dramatically happened in their life that got them to question, is God good? He can't be real. They didn't study the empirical data. They didn't study the facts. They didn't go through all this stuff about science. They came with a hard heart conclusion. God's not good. Therefore, he's not real. And they choose to harden their heart. And they become an antichrist. There's thousands, millions of antichrists on our planet. Or anti-God. Now I'm talking about the antichrist that you and I know just to come. They're antichrist. Because they don't want to know. If you will open up your heart. And you will say, you know what? If there is a God, I'm going to go on a journey. And that's what you see. These Harvard, MIT, Yale, physicists. Microchemist Michael Behe as he showed the world he can dissect. I didn't even talk about the bacteria phalangium. That thing is unbelievable. It's got this wheel that spins around, a cog and ball bearings and a shaft, and it moves and it can turn inside of our bloodstream backwards and forwards. And when they dissected that, they said there is no possible way it cannot work unless they all exist together. It means something has designed it. And you got people at MIT, Harvard, and Yale going, something divine is out there. You're not going to hear that on the news. Not a liberal outcome and mindset. Why? Because they choose not to believe that they could be a God. So let me help you real quick. Let me show you how in 60 seconds you can turn your atheist friend into an agnostic. Now what's an agnostic? An agnostic is someone who says, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is one, he's distant. And I don't know if, there, and I, don't know if I even want to know them, but they could be. That is an agnostic is someone going, maybe, I don't know. I really don't care, but maybe. Let me show you how you can turn someone who's anti-God into maybe there could be. Here, let me show you this. I, I would encourage you, if, if you go to class and you have a professor and you do this to your professor, uh, make sure you get on Snapchat because I want to watch this, okay? I want to see, see this. I'm just kidding. You'll get an F. You're like, my pastor told me to punk you. No, don't do that, okay? Just hang tight. We're being nice about it. So let's say Take, it, take a sheet of paper out, take your pen, take a napkin, go to the board and look at it. See, when they stand up and they teach theory and you start asking them, could you give me the probability? And they said the probability would be like, like one and 10 with 40,000 zeros. See, they don't want to talk about that type of probability because it's unfathomable. It can't, it's like that never happens. And that's the kind of probability we're talking about. But that's what I'm talking about. Go to them and draw a circle and say, let's assume that everything that's ever to be known in our universe, every law, every constant, every governing thing, every knowledge, everything that could ever be is inside this circle. How much of inside this circle of all the knowledge in all the universe do you know? 1%? If you're really smart, 20%? And they're not gonna say they know everything because they can't, they don't know everything. Let's just give them for granted said, you know what? I know about 20% of there's everything there is to be known about the known world. Okay. So you're saying there's 80% of stuff you do not know. Would that be fair? That's fair. There's 80% of things I don't know. So, and what you don't know, could it possibly be, based on your own data, could it possibly be that God exists in what you don't know yet? And they'll sit there and they'll say, well, ugh. scientifically, empirically, that could be true. God could exist 
and the 80% of stuff I don't know yet there is about the universe. Then you look at them and with very kind words and you say, you're not an atheist, you're an agnostic and you're one step closer to meet my Jesus. And you walk off, drop the mic. Because the reality is this, to say you're an atheist is the most arrogant statement you can ever say. Because what you just said is you know everything there is to be ever known. That ever was known and ever will to be known. You can't say that. Unless you're very arrogant, which means you're very full of pride, which means your heart is hard, which means you are anti-God by choice. But if you will choose to say, if there is a God and what I don't know, and I will go on a journey to discover. Jesus says, if you seek me, you will find me, no matter where you look. I'm going to ask you what to bow your heads. How great is our God? <laughs> he's great. And He's grand. And He knows you. And He created you. He's left His mark and fingerprints all over you. Your own genetic language speaks of an intellectual design that has baffled the greatest minds of our day. You don't have to be back down into a bubble. You don't have to be scared to talk about things that you may not know everything there is. I don't know everything there is. I have so much more to learn. But if the world can talk about this, the church needs to address this. There is a creator who loves you so much who designed you. He even designed a world that you may live in that is in the exact position of a 21 whatever degrees it is tilted away from the sun so we won't burn up versus tilted one degree towards the sun we would all burn up with just enough oxygen on the planet with just enough gravitational pull and the right location of the entire universe so that you could live. That's how much He loves you. If God is that big and God is that grand, why do we worry about the little minuteness things of our life? <laughs> he loves you. And He designed all this, watch this, <laughs> for you. And because the universe is expanding, the argument shows that someday the universe will burn out. Energy will leave the universe and therefore everything we know on the entire universe will cease to exist because energy will run out. Praise be to God that we have a creator who says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth and give you a new body where there be no more cancer, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. And all you have to do is not believe this junk, but believe me. See, God has been talking about this for centuries. And now science is finally catching up. Listen to me. Today, if God sparked your heart to go, maybe there could be a God. Whether you're watching at Grace in at Moorhead or you're online, maybe there could be a God. Listen to me. Open your heart and your mind and go and study. Study, seek with an open heart. Maybe you realize like, oh my gosh, those are some of the questions that I've been asking 
that's keeping me from receiving Jesus and believing the God of the Bible. And maybe through the Holy Spirit today, He's opened your eyes to see. And if that's you, I'm going to beg you to give your life to your Creator, your Maker, your Designer. who's put his fingerprints all over you. The Bible says this, if you will confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, that he is your creator, that he is your designer, that he is your maker, and you believe that he sent his son in a foolishness way to the world, who became one of us, his creation, who died and who got up out of the grave to experience so he could say, I was one of you. I've become like you to save you because I made you if you believe in him you will live for eternity because someday this world will come to an end and you were made to live for eternity how do you know that just think about science you know every seven years you get a new body did you know that every seven years you get a new body Every seven years, your body makes itself new. It's just a beautiful picture how God designed you to live forever. However, because sin entered into the world, it damages cells, it damages our body, and someday every single one of us will take our last breath. Just by science of your body, you're made, your body was made to live forever. And every seven years, you'd get a new one for how it reconstructs itself. That's your creator who loves you. And I beg you and I implore you, give your life to him today. And if that's you, you can just cry out to him. If he can hold the stars in place, our planet in place, just so you could be here this morning, I promise you, he can hear you talk to him. Just say, God, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. I believe you made me. I believe you created me for a purpose. Now forgive me of where I've blown it. And today I turn to you to follow you all the days of my life. And I can't wait to spend eternity with you. Now if that's you, I'm going to ask you just in a few moments, would you go out to the next step area? We have some resources. In fact, we have some things called Case for Christ from Lee Strobel. If you want to do some research on things I talked about today, Lee Strobel is awesome. He was a leading atheist, went out to seek to prove God wasn't real, to show the world he wasn't real. And guess what he found? Jesus. Just from a scientific, empirical study of the facts. It's there. Open your heart. Go do the research. Father, we love you. We thank you that you created all this. So today we could have breath and we could have life. And we can know you. That we can have a relationship with you. Because someday we're going to spend eternity with you. For all of those who have put their faith in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would spark our minds to be curious. That you would give us confidence to have conversations and confidence to go do the research and not be afraid of science. The laws, God, you've created these. There's laws that you've created. And all of them point to you, our Creator. So Holy Spirit, have your way. We love you. For it's in your name we ask and pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.